Welcome to Bite the Orange. Through our conversations, we create a roadmap for the future of health with the most impactful leaders in the space. This is your host, Dr. Manny Fumble. Let's make the future of healthcare a reality together. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bite the Orange. And today we have a very special guest that has an incredible background and very passionate person, a great expert in what he's talking about. So today, I'd like to introduce Dr. Elias Tychopoulos. Welcome, Dr. Tychopoulos, to the show. Thanks, Manny. Very nice to be here. I'm very happy I could pull that last name. So uh, thank you. Now that we said that, is it okay if I go by Elias? <laughs> yes, <laughs> please do. All right, perfect. Thanks. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, I am a professor at uh, UC Davis, Department of Computer Science in the Genome Center, where I have an experimental and computational lab uh, focusing on microbes mostly. What we do here is more of AI and machine learning uh, with bioinformatics, uh, trying to predict microbial evolution, uh, biotic resistance, uh, different traits coming from uh, systems biology. My second thought would be being a director of the USDA, USDA NSF AI for Next Generation Food System. That's a collaboration between Berkeley, Davis, Cornell, UIUC, ANR, and USDA itself where we are focusing on how to make the food system better by using AI. And this has been, uh, we have been given 20 million as an award from the, from USDA, and we, we have more than 60 faculty participate. And the third hat that I have is being an entrepreneur, various a few companies that I would have confounded, one of them being PIPA, which is a company of AI and life sciences, focusing on nutrition and food. Which is quite fascinating, and you have you all met multiple hats, right? But you have a core piece. You actually train computer science, or correct? Analytical engineering, computer science, correct? I'd like to pick on the idea of food, right? And what you do on, on the food aspect of it. So tell me, what is the problem that you solve? I would always put a little bit broadly at fifty thousand foot level, uh, both for the institute and the companies that we have uh, confounded. There are the two aspects of food. One is people and the other is the environment. And in both cases, we have our challenges. We are looking at, say, people. There are a lot of people that they are food insecure, including third, like in the United States, Europe, and other places, not only third world countries. The numbers are staggering. You can see that one third of the population of Earth, they are food insecure in one way or another. At the same time, the other one third of the population has diabetes, has different comorbidities related to food. And there is some overlap also, which is also strange, like why people who are food security have also issues with securing their food, having good food, having also diabetes, and we can, can say why. And this is, the bounds the whole spectrum. It's not just a specific age bracket, but even, you know, a young adolescent and kids have these issues. So that is one of the main drivers of the, well, we need to do something and we need to do it now. The environment is another one. So the use of pesticides, the using of uh, not optimal agricultural methods, molecular breeding, food processing, and leading to waste creates a big problem for the environment. That's the second thing that in parallel would like to, to focus on and make better as we go forward. That was something that I think is pretty critical, right? If you look at the socioeconomic determinants of health, and I think you have this desert around the country, and I think this was highlighted, especially during the pandemic period, where you saw a lot of people that had comorbid conditions like diabetes that you highlighted, right? You had a lot of people lose their lives during this period. So how are you trying to solve this with AI? So are you enhancing, determining what kind of, was the best meal for a person, or what, what are you doing? Excellent question. And the answer is all of the above. So you need to look at AI not as an enabler for microbial 
micro projects like small predictors here and there, although that has value too. But in order to really seize the day and the potential of it to create a new a new reality and better reality that is more equitable and it is more efficient and it has a great benefits for human health. You need to see AI being the connective tissue across the whole spectrum that brings together the, the supply chain, the production, the processing, and the consumer, the consumption of food and closing the loop throughout. And now this is, uh, this is nice in terms of strategy and theory, but how do you actually do it with people in the field? So what we have done is uh, collaborating with the people that they, in our network that they are talking and doing, they're down in the field and they're actually picking strawberries on, or apples or their food processing facility or their uh, food bank that is distributing food. Just to give you an idea, one of the projects that we have with the Yolo Food Bank is to look what is, if we're doing a more personalized instead of giving food out, which is they're doing a terrific job of doing, and this is the standard for all food banks, is how can AI disrupt this in a good way? And how can we actually give more specialized, more personalized food baskets for different types of individuals? Maybe you have kidney failure, or maybe you are having uh, diabetes and you need a different nutritional profile than a gen, the general nutrition profile. And this is an AI project we're running. Another one would be how to make the supply chain more resilient, how to have provenance, and how to actually do that in an efficient way, an automated way through AI. That, which is quite fascinating. So you're going for a personalized nutrition approach. It's based on data, right? So you're personalizing that experience for each person. And this goes beyond whether you're healthy or you have any disease condition, right? So and I think that's quite fascinating to think about things that way. but. Something more important I want to touch on with you is you have, I don't know, people, people Corp specifically, uh, you have specific uh, programs, you have the LEAP program, for example, they work out. And so I want you to explain the programs and what you do in people and what the benefits are. I know life science uh, companies, for example, are something that this, the engine could be very valuable too. So tell me about that. So PIPA was created in 2015 with, uh, to fill a, a need. And the need in 2015, it was that there were not a lot of AI companies that could actually translate into practice the perfect storm that was happening in other fields. So the perfect storm happened, started happening in face recognition and the Google and the Facebook of the world come from computer vision. And it spread through deep learning uh, architectures into many other fields. Companies like CPG companies and uh, no traditional high-tech computer companies, they were behind. And people start filling that gap and we have finished more than 60 projects with different clients and partners on anything that you can imagine from manufacturing and farming and in other areas. But the one thing that we focused pretty fast was AI, life sciences, nutrition and health. So what we have developed over and through these assignments, projects, and we consolidated as a product is everyone, what they want to do is to have innovation engine. They want to come up with the new products to hit the market. The, the better, uh, the better snack that is not only tastes good, but also it's healthy for you. They might be a probiotic that would be good for both your gut and your brain. So we created that product. So what we did was we created an AI engine that is able to ingest information from all the papers out there, millions of papers, absence of full papers 
they getting databases, information that's been already curated, or information that's from raw owned profiles and other profiles like clinical trials, putting them all together and coming up with the answer to any kind of question that would be relevant to R&D, starting with, for example, what are the novel bioactives that reduce inflammation, for example. So in, in that, this is the product that we are having. This is what we are providing to our clients, doing it both as a software as a service and a use cases with our bioinformaticians, the scientists. We have someone in the life science industry listening to this podcast right now, right? So, so you want to give me like a, like a typical case study, something that'll be exciting to you, like work on, right? What would be the ideal, beautiful use case? Yeah, so to me, all it matters is the, the final impact to, to people, to our society. So to me, the ideal use case is something that we can actually create as a product. And when we say we, it's of course our client, you know, either in partnership or after this engagement. And it can be something that it will help people to live a better life. So this can be, for example, gut health. Take one disease, let's say IBS or shred colitis or Crohn's disease or anything like that, right? So can you go from data and predict what would be the a product, maybe a snack, or it can be like a supplement, or it can be an ingredient for an ingredient company. It will make these people have less of the symptoms or even have more, much milder version of the disease, if not, you know, not the disease at all. So what we do in that case, it's a, it's a very important step. First step is we're taking all this data and we analyze it. And what we have found is that not everyone is the same. So we may have the same symptoms, but the underlying cause of the disease is very, very different. So the first thing we do is we are segmenting those populations. And then we are focusing, laser focusing the solution to one of those segments by using, again, AI and bioinformatics and chemoinformatics. Then that final product, whatever that is, the bioactive chemicals, compounds, uh, or the probiotic bacteria, uh, then our client may actually take them to the clinical trials that in collaboration with people and then bring the product to the market. So that, that whole pipeline, uh, seeing the final product, is what we are looking for. We're not looking for uh, one-off engagements that they are you know, that they are very ephemeral. So I think this long-term kind of relationship because you get to understand disease conditions over a long period of time, right? And you improve like the overall well-being of a patient or whoever you want to work with. And so ideally, what would you like to get involved with life science companies? Would you like to get involved before the protocol design for study? What would be the perfect time to reach out to you? Yes, that's, that's an excellent question. So first of all, we're ready to collaborate in any way uh, that will have that specific vision and impact at the end, right? So we have companies that they are coming early on and say, okay, we know that this is one area we want to focus. Brain health, for example, like help us, tell us how we should design the study, what will be the computational part, what will be the experimental part, what are the milestones that will go forward. We can be there. Or there are other companies that have done a clinical study already, but it's not as successful and they need us to go there and make it even more focused and better, suitable for a market lens. So again, ideally, the earlier it is, with a more very, very clear concept and goal, the better it is for us because we can optimize it. But again, this is not an ideal world. We're working with any case as long as it has this final goal that aligns with our mission. And also, just to add to that, but if a study is already done, well, you have a great analytics kind of platform and insight. So there's still a lot of insights you get from data sets, right, from studies that will be and happened in the past. So you offer those services as well, correct? 
Correct. And sometimes it is, it's funny. We can even predict the, the success or failure of clinical trial by knowing what the inclusion-exclusion criteria, what they have done, because we can see from the computational part that, you know, this is focused enough or it's not, it's very constrained and will not get the right pathways involved, the right genes and the right people involved in order to be successful. So, Tom, just to add to that point, I think you said something that's very important. I mean, I've worked in designing clinical studies for several years in my life science side of the industry. And I think a lot of times how we design a study without spend a lot of time thinking about how you execute that study, right? You have the right patient population in that study. You have the right secondary endpoints, primary endpoints. And so you do the studies and sometimes you end up missing it up because the product did not work. It's how you design the study. Uh, correct? Very true. Very, very important. Yes. So, so what, what do you think it's uh, in the ideal world? If I was, as you look in terms of improving the way clinical research is designed and some of the services that you can provide from your company perspective, right? What would be the ideal state look like? If I'm only designing clinical study, uh, how should I engage with you and how, how should that process look like? Yeah, in a perfect world, before you even think about the clinical study, right? The clinical trial. First of all, let's see what the goals are, right? I mean, why, why are you going after that disease, for example, or that? Who is your audience? Who is the target client? And let's do, let's create and make sure that this business plan is very solid. Uh, what we have seen is that many people don't take the data and analytics into account when this is happening. They are more traditional in the way and they're more sometimes gut feeling, sometimes more evidence-based, but the world has changed over the past decade. And people who are being left in the, they might be amazing, you know, 10 years ago, but now, uh, with all the data analytics we have, uh, people need to engage those companies, partners, or associates if it is within the same company early on. The design, going to the final product, what you want to achieve, will need to have this AI component at least discussed throughout the whole continuum of the, the product development. Again, companies, they have a very clear goal in terms of, hey, this is the market we want to hit. We want a new, for example, pill or people with diabetes that they have also rheumatoid arthritis, right? Okay, how do we do that? So that is when you start asking that question, this is the time for us to be engaged and maximize the, the potential. Perfect. I really like that. And I think that's something that I think uh, in the life science industry in general, I think that's something that we should take into consideration. And I'll tell you that usually we design the research and then kick out the research and then go back and say, oh, I wish I did it this way. I wish I did it this way. And so if you're listening to this and you're part of a clinical research business in the life science industry, I think that what Elias is talking about, you should definitely reach out to him, make sure we have very efficient kind of studies, right? And we have the right results and we have right products to bring to the market that will benefit patients because they depend on this, right? So what has been the, 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 uh, the biggest roadblock so far in industry in adopting technology? I mean, you have the background on this, so, and so you're an expert going from that point. So what has been the biggest uh, roadblock in the healthcare industry to adapt all the possibilities that AI brings to us? Yes. Thank you. It's uh, always, I, it's good to remember how it was and see where you, you go because you don't have a set uh, goal. No, you know, if you don't know where you're sailing, no wind is favorable, as uh, Seneca was saying. The, the roadblocks have changed over the years. Earlier it was mentality and especially more in the nutritional space and uh, CPG space rather than healthcare. Although healthcare also had uh, its own uh, issues. If you looked at medical informatics 10 years ago, there was no AI, there was no machine learning. The, the clause you could actually go, it was like standard statistics and a lot of statistics. So mentality has been an, an issue early on, not so much now in terms of whether AI is a hype or not. 
And don't get me wrong, AI has been a hype in many encounters with many people, but the, the potential, like no people see it because they see actually, they start seeing results. Then the availability, you need two things to happen for having a successful product, even if you have an amazing AI company or capability. One is having the right data. So both availability and also the quality control and quality of the data and the metadata involved for the problem that you are trying to solve. And the second is, once you have solved the problem, meaning that you have a predictor, you have a product, then you have to have adoption. And then you have to be able to, to get people to buy in what you're doing for the right reasons. And both those, those have been challenges in the past and even now. So that, that I would say is uh, bridging this gap is the key to success. Which is also very interesting. Uh, you don't have to use AI, of course, to apply AI, you don't data, data sets, right? And, and something in healthcare, in the healthcare environment, I think what we consider medical or health data is changing a lot, right? I'm sure, I mean, environmental things, for example, factors, the things that don't go necessarily in the HR system, right? It's part of health, that it, right? There are people interact on Facebook or Instagram or whatever they interact on. Some of those things are becoming data sets, right? That you can actually capture from the real world. Piece of it. So as things go, what are your thoughts around data privacy, especially when it comes to healthcare? A very important topic. And especially when you are having something as potent and game-changing as AI. We need data privacy and we need it even more uh, going forward. And uh, we need not to be afraid of it. This should not be fear. Although what, what we need to do is having a very honest and frank discussion about the danger of not having enough data privacy, especially in a connected world, because it's not only in the US, it's, uh, it's other countries like China, India, and others. We are also playing the same arena. So it's not be a barrier. It should be just one of the things to discuss and make the right, put the right safeguards going forward. Thanks a lot for that. I think uh, it's very important to bring this up to say, yes, we need to be concerned and have some guidelines around it, but not to be scared of it, right? I think that's a fantastic way of, of, of us approaching this. So with that being said, I think uh, it's a great point for what I need to ask you. What are your accomplishments or what are your goals over the next three months, the next year? What do you aim to accomplish? For the three months, we have so many projects that we and our clients, we want to, to make sure that uh, we bring value to them. Yeah. So that's definitely one. Next year's, it's, uh, well, I mean, the, the reason that we have created this company and the reason we do what we do is uh, because we, we really want to have impact and impact in the life of others and making sure that what we do, we're proud of. So, you know, I, I would like to, in three years from now, I would like to point at a type of disease or it can be a drug or it can be a, a people, right? And say like, look, I mean, I, I did something good for these people. We really made the dent, even if it is very small to the universe as, as scientists, engineers, and entrepreneurs. Thanks a lot for that. And I think uh, if anyone is listening, I think I should reach out de definitely you know, to uh, Elias. We'll have your contact information definitely below this podcast when we'll, we'll, we'll go out there. But I think Another great vision of yours is also to grow, to make sure you get more involved with life science companies. And I think any listener here should definitely reach out to learn more about what you're joining, what you're doing here to make humanity better. So thanks for joining us today, Elias. And I hope to have you again on the show any sometime soon. Thank you, man. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Bite the Orange. If you want to change healthcare with us, please contact us at info at emmanuelfobu.com or you can visit us at emmanuelfambu.com or biketheorange.com. If you like this episode and want more information about us, 
You can also visit us at emmanuelfumble.com.